My guest today is Ian Koniak. Ian is the founder and president of Ian Koniak Sales Coaching, but actually before he launched his coaching business, he was a strategic account executive at Salesforce for nine years. And while there he had, I think it was like 42 months of consecutive quota achievement. He was awarded as a top producing rep in the company. And he also shares today his story of how he transitioned out of hardware into software sales. My favorite part about today's conversation though is Ian opens up, uh, Ian and I both actually open up on some of the more stressful elements of working as a SaaS seller. I think this is something I probably haven't focused on enough during the show. Ian talks about how his identity and his self-worth was wrapped up around the results that he produced. And ultimately that caused him to have sort of a, a breakdown where he decided to shift his focus, launch his coaching business, and now he's helping reps succeed in their personal lives as well as their professional lives by being the best they can be. So without further ado, please welcome Ian. All right, Ian, we are live. Welcome to the SaaS Sales Players. Let's go, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you and I were just talking before we went live here, and I had asked you to, to tell us a little bit about where you got started. Where did it all begin for Ian uh, in the SaaS sales industry specifically? Well, the SaaS sales industry started uh, nine years ago at Salesforce, and um, it's not as exciting as my entry into sales because... Um, I, I think I should share that first and then I'll yeah, talk please. about SaaS sales. But I, I was a teacher before I was a salesperson. A lot wow. of people don't know that. I, I taught English in Venezuela. I was traveling the world, taking wow. pictures, traveling to national parks. And sales was not what I thought I would ever be doing. And um, I ended up falling in love there. My visa expired, had to move away from my girlfriend, had no money, no job, no girlfriend. And basically it was like, I was super determined to like be with this woman. And so sales had this unlimited income earning potential in, in the, the tender age of 23 years old, wow. uh, I, I living with my parents, I said, well, how am I going to get her um, here? So I, the only way to get her from Venezuela to the US was to um, get a student visa, which required me paying for her college, saving enough money, <laughs> not only to bring her here and support both of us, but putting her through school, because that wow. was the only visa they were giving. So I had wow. to make a certain amount of money and, and um, I went to a sales career fair and they they said there was a flyer there. It said 50,000 year one, 75,000 year two, 100K plus year three. And I'm like, what do I have to do? I'll do anything you say. Wow. And they said, you just need to do what, what you, uh, what we tell you to do. And you, you will guarantee it said guaranteed on this flyer. And so um, that was my entry into sales. And, and there's a lot of lessons in there, but when you make it about like your goals and you know, why you're doing something, you don't have to pump yourself up. You don't have to go and like try and, um, force yourself and self-motivate because it's bigger than you. Right. And mm -hmm. that, that was, I've taken that with me, you know, every year I, I try and reset like why I'm doing what I'm doing and make it bigger than me and find that greater cause. Cause I realized that when you, when you have a really strong, why, you know, you're always going to figure out a way how that drive, that optimism, that determination, I wasn't questioning, do I make this cold call? I was just doing the activity. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I learned sales. And in 10 years wow. later, I, I had progressed in within Rico. I had gotten all the awards and kind of um, risen the ranks. I was running a team of 80 people. I had 10 sales managers and 70 AEs under me, and we were doing about 60 million a year. And I was getting making about $250,000 a year. Okay. And now that, that might sound like a lot for a lot of people, but for me, I was running a $60 million business. And I read this yeah. little article in Forbes magazine about 
a company called Salesforce where the average enterprise AE was making over 300,000. And it was yeah. just this eye-opening moment where I'm like, what am I doing? I'm in sales, but am I in the right sport? Right. I'm playing, I'm playing a sport, but is it the right sport? So it's like going mm -hmm. from, you know, professional rugby to the NFL. Right. I, I went to, you know, I was determined to get into Salesforce and, you know, got rejected a bunch of times, finally got in and uh, the rest is history. I, I had a, a run there and um, I had to transition from that, like transactional to a more strategic selling. And that was its own experience, but that's how I got into SaaS sales specifically as I, I saw yeah. that article and I realized, wow, I can make a lot more if I'm going to do sales and work this hard, I might as well do it in a, in a SaaS company and the best one. And, and that got me kind of like exposed to this other world of high, you know, high impact selling, enterprise selling at Salesforce. So it was, it was a, quite the journey. So did you go from, it sounds like you ran a team at Rico. Yep. You went from being a, a leader back to a contributor at yeah. Salesforce. That's right. So I was five years as an AE at Rico, then five years working my way up, sales manager, branch manager, general manager. Then I was director mm -hmm. of sales when I left. And then I had to go back to be an IC at, at Salesforce because they wouldn't take me as a leader by good reason. I had no sales yeah. experience. I had no SaaS experience. SaaS experience, yeah. And so I, I, they literally, no matter what my accolades were, no matter how my, it was really stupid of them, frankly, but I had a lot of people that rejected me and they said, I don't care. You don't have the experience. And I, I tell people never hire for just experience, hire for drive, mm -hmm. hire for optimism, hire for charisma, hire for things that, because a good person who's smart and, you know, driven is going to figure out a way to win. And luckily yeah. I had a boss who, the one who did end up hiring me, who, who knew about copiers, he, who knew what that took and he gave me a chance. And um, I'm forever grateful for that chance because he wasn't yeah. just looking at the, the resume, he was looking at the person. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I asked, I, I made the same transition a few years ago. I was uh, in a, you know, kind of middle management sale, uh, sales leadership role. And I just decided just for the one for the financial upside and, and two, because I felt like I wanted to hone in on the skill of selling before I got too far down a management track. So I made the leap from sales manager back into a contributor seat and I'm still here as nice. a sales contributor. Yeah. And, and yeah. now when I think about jumping back into a sales leadership seat, the thing that, that drew me to leadership is making an impact on people. And mm -hmm. now that I'm doing the podcast, I feel like I have a bigger chance at making an impact than I did even as a, you know, an individual manager. But I always think it's interesting to hear from people who have made that transition from being a sales leader back to, to, you know, honing in on the craft. And it sounds like you obviously spent a bunch of time uh, at Salesforce, not only learning about the SaaS industry, but uh, you know, honing in on your craft and how to be more strategic about your deals. And I have a lot of listeners who are, you know, and, and I love your story also about coming from being a teacher and then moving into sales and having that drive to get into sales. Cause I have a lot of, of listeners out there who are trying to transition from another industry or maybe they're selling now, but they're not in the SaaS category. So I think your story is going to really resonate with a lot of my audience uh, out there who is in a similar situation. Great. Yeah. It's um, it's cool to hear that you went to from leadership to IC. Cause that's what I did. And I, I thought yeah. I might go back into leadership. I didn't, you know, I ended up being at Salesforce for, for nine years before I left to do my own thing. And, and it was always like, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm learning, you know, trying to get better. As long as you're growing and learning, you, you don't need to move, right? And, and, and you could be a career salesperson that makes, frankly, more, way more money than a, than a leader and, and, you know, determine your own hours, determine your own schedule, do it mm -hmm. on your terms, work abroad. I, I have a good buddy who's 
working in um, Italy and in Santorini and Greece and like selling and he made president's club. And he's like, I'm like, man, dude, he's, wow. he's my age, he's 42. And I'm like, are you going to settle down at some point? But he's happy as a clam. He's really, wow. you know, so you can do that in sales. You can't do that necessarily in leadership. It's a lot harder when people depend on you. So I think it just, it's about knowing what you want, right? Yeah. And, and if you're okay, like, shit nothing's wrong with being a career yeah. salesperson i think it's a great career for for many people and that was the choice i made at salesforce for nine years i got recruited a couple times to be a vp of sales there and i just didn't had no interest in it frankly that's fantastic i want to actually drill into something you had said that it took you a, a i can't remember your exact words but it took you a little bit to get in the door at salesforce oh, yeah. and i know from my experience and we'll use Salesforce as an example, but I think your advice would probably apply to someone who's also trying to get into, uh, I'm trying to think of a, another similar category, you know, maybe they want to get into Oracle or, uh, you know, Microsoft or something like that. What, what advice would you give someone who's trying to get in at one of the big successful SaaS platforms out there that's, that's well-known like Salesforce? How did you finally get, get your way into the door? I mean, one is be persistent, treat it, treat it like a sales cycle, right? So I, yeah. I was rejected three times before I finally got, got the opportunity to come in. And, and um, that's, that's the first thing. A lot of people give up after one or two interviews. I mean, you just got to yeah. keep going. Just like your dream client is going to say no a bunch of times. You know, right. you have your heart set on a certain company. Um, in my case, I was only looking at Salesforce. It's funny because... What I did when I got into Salesforce after a couple interviews, I'm like, man, these guys are like, you know, really, really hard to get into. And, you yeah. know, I was like, maybe I should look elsewhere. So I ended up going to, to Oracle. It's funny you mentioned that. And I got a job offer at Oracle. Well, the minute that I took that job offer and I showed it to Salesforce, I said, hey, if you guys don't make a move, I'm going to Oracle. And by the way, you know, you're going to miss out. And, you know, I, I showed him that job offer and it's amazing how that changed everything. They say, well, if he's good enough for Oracle, then, you know, we're, we're going to, just because I don't think they wanted me to go to Oracle. I think they wanted to be Oracle and <laughs> getting me. And that changed everything. So I, I would say, number one, persist, but, but leverage, like leverage your companies and get to the industry you want. It doesn't have to be your dream company. You could always transfer over if you need to. And if Salesforce wouldn't have taken me, I would have taken that job at Oracle. And, and yeah. I was willing to do that. But by having that offer letter in hand, it, it gave my negotiation power. It gave me a lot more leverage and, and, and that's how I ended up doing it. So don't just like be so like laser focused on one place that you don't also get other options, right? It's better to get out of the industry you're in if you're trying to go to a new industry than not to, you know, do it at all because you're only stuck up one company. Yeah. That's super badass. I haven't, I haven't heard a, that good of a story about using that kind of leverage. And I love that. Uh, and I, oh, yeah. I probably need to do more of that in my career. It was the is, offer letter. They literally yeah. took the offer letter and they upped it by like 10%, and, you know, wow. they gave me the better signing bonus. It was, it was a very uh, powerful, very powerful. It's like a customer, right? If they have, yeah. a, if they have two, vendors they're competing with and they have another quote and it's half your cost yeah you certainly could justify the value but if it's pretty similar you're probably gonna try and meet them and have a conversation they're not doing that so they could buy the other company they're doing that so they can work with you and get a better deal so it, it's the same thing with any um any job right it's like yeah. if, if they know you have other offers in hand and you're going to make a move then maybe their three month or two month evaluation process and hiring process could be sped up and that's what happened with salesforce yeah. they literally accelerated where they normally do this big panel and they do mm -hmm. this 
you know, big presentation. I didn't have to do any of that because I, wow. so I literally had one meeting with my RVP, another one with the SE manager. And then I met a guy named Larry Schertz, who he's at a different company now, who's the AVP. We had lunch, he grilled me. And I ended up getting an offer letter a couple of days later. So it, it, it was really a streamlined process once I got that Oracle letter in hand. That's awesome. Now that's incredible. So tell us, you know, I know it's probably hard to sum it up in, in a couple of sentences. And before we dive into some of what you're doing right now, I want to just hear some of the big things you learned in the nine years that you were at Salesforce. What were major milestones, learnings, especially learnings that brought you to where you are today, being self-employed, working on coaching? What are some of those big uh, you know, takeaways? I think the biggest one is that transactional selling doesn't translate to enterprise selling. Um, in, in copiers, I was very good because it was very predictable. It was, you know, do this much activity, set this much meetings every week. This will lead to this opportunity, um, number of opportunities. This leads to this many um, sales. It was, it was a, a science. And in Rico, I hit my number 42 months in a row. And it was by following a, a formula of do two and set two every day. Do two appointments, set two appointments every day. That means you'll have 10 a week, four opportunities a week. Even if you suck, you close one of those deals, one a week, you're going to be at quota. And, and it's true. And it worked and it was very predictable. Well, you try to take that same methodology or same science to a enterprise sales. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I did that my first few years. Now, interestingly enough, I got lucky my first year at Salesforce. I, I took that same, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grind, I'm gonna hustle, and I'm going to just outwork everyone. And I took it to um, Salesforce and I ended up after 16 emails to one CIO, I ended up closing a um, seven-figure contract my first year at Salesforce and finishing rookie of the year. Damn. And I'm like, man, this this works. You know, I can out hustle <laughs> fuck all these people that are just yeah. like staunchy enterprise AEs, 20 year veterans. I came and got rookie of the year and made everyone say, yeah, hustle works. Well, here's the funny thing. Years two, three, and four at Salesforce. I took that same approach and I missed my quota three years in a row. And so I had been the top guy for my whole career. And, um, I thought outworking everyone would 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 be the solution, and, and frankly, mm -hmm. it led to burnout. It led to addiction. It led to my self esteem really um, getting getting. You know, when your whole identity is grounded in being a top performer, and you know, really priding yourself in your results, and you miss three years in a row, you you can imagine what that does to your self worth. And, and unfortunately yeah. for me, I, I didn't cope in healthy ways, and um, you know, it, it it brought me to a place where. On January 31st of 2006, uh, 2017, actually, it's five years ago now, um, mm. I looked in the mirror and it was, I just missed my quota for the third year in a row. And I screamed at the top of my lungs. And I, it was like an out of body experience. My head was pulsing and I was in so much pain. And I said, I'm never going to feel this way again. I'm never going to fucking put myself through this work. I barely missed my quota. That year, I missed it by one deal. And that deal was supposed to come in and it didn't. It was like, it was yeah. like my entire, my entire idea of like what mattered was just hitting quota. And I realized I had to make some major changes, not only to how I sold, but like to how I thought. And, and, and so I, I started, um, I joined a personal development program and mm -hmm. it was called Epic Impact. I spent over $20,000 wow. of my own money to go into deep personal development. I hired a coach and um, I really started making some, some major shifts in how I was selling. 
And it wasn't so much hard work grind numbers driven. It was more about quality. It was more about other people solving problems, helping versus me. So the big shift, I would say, if I had to sum up kind of yeah. what I learned in transitioning from more transactional to more strategic selling is when you make it about yourself, you know, the clients can sense that and, and they're not going to want to work with you. But when you make it about other people, when you really take the time to understand what people want, to have a conversation with them and to help them get what they want through the products and services you sell, the, the, then you're going to get what you want in return. So you help other people get what they want and you will get you what you want. So I had to shift from this inward me focus to this outward you focused way of selling. And, and it required actually giving a fuck and caring about yeah. Um, people in, in the person I'm talking to versus looking at them as a, as a dollar sign and as a commission check. And I, and I think that was the work I did on myself that year. And um, it's amazing the results. You know, I, I went from this underachiever to the top number one enterprise AE at Salesforce that year. I went from earning 250K a year to averaging about 750K a year. I went from never you know, missing making the, the club to making it four years in a row and overachieving four years in a row. So, and then I'm like, man, I, I, I have to teach this. I have to, yeah. I have to help other people. And there's a few things that led to that, but you know, it's, it's so simple, but it, yet we're in such a me-centric society and we're so focused on ourselves. And that is the mm -hmm. source of our misery. That is the source of our pain. And frankly, that's the source of our results a lot of times when we're making it about us. And I'm hoping to shift that because I once I made that shift, um, everything changed. And so that's that's really what I would tell people that are kind of like what I learned at Salesforce is when you have the ability to solve big problems and help people you know, really make it about them versus about you and, and watch, watch what happens to your, your income and your quota. It, it's going to happen naturally. Those are outcomes, right? Those are outcomes of, of being a good person who wants to serve and help others. So. Wow. I, I have so many questions and I, I want to preface by, by saying, and, and we talked about this before we, we, we went on air here. I think sometimes on my show, I tend to skew towards the the positivity, the optimistic. Uh, I'm I love this industry. I love being in SaaS sales. I love selling. I love technology. Yeah. I love the the financial upside, the the financial freedom that it's provided my family, and the lifestyle. We talked about that. You know, being able to have control of my schedule more so than in any other profession. I think, and you know, having W twos that I never would have dreamed of uh, in in other professions, and and that frankly. My, my folks are skeptical of still, yeah. uh, all the same, <laughs> what I probably don't do enough of on my show is talk about some of the traps you can fall into, whether that's completely wrapping your identity around your quota or your results, uh, your production, falling into addiction, falling into, uh, you know, complete burnout or having, you know, mental health fallout from a bad year, a bad quarter, a bad month, whatever it is. Yep. And so I, I definitely want to spend, you know, I'd like to spend almost the rest of this episode really on, on some of that stuff, because I think you're, you're certainly qualified to speak about it. It sounds sure. like that's the mission of your company now is to really help teach the principles around this and get the, the industry out of this place where, you know, we can fall into these kind of traps and, and I'm no exception. I've personally experienced burnout. 
Um, you know, unfortunately my family has sometimes had to, to take the brunt of the stress and, uh, you know, the burden also my wife calls it the Jesse roller coaster. I'm just being totally transparent here. I she love says it. That, <laughs> yeah. And she says, yo, you're on the Jesse roller coaster again. There's high highs and just incredibly low lows yeah. and it's up and down, up and down, depends on the quarter, depends on the year. And every little thing gets scrutinized and, you know, one bad conversation with a manager leads to, you know, just weeks of stress and or and, a customer, and, right. Or a, or a customer, like I mean, it could be anything, right. Deal it's, falls through whatever yeah. it is get, getting put yeah. on a performance plan. I mean, these are all realities of this industry that again, I, I don't think I talk enough about, I don't think the industry talks enough about. So I'm really excited that you're, you know, dredging this up as, as, as hard as it is to have these kind of conversations and as hard as it is to be transparent and a guy like yourself, who's done incredibly well in the space and had a just completely decorated career to know that you've gone through some of this stuff. And, and when I talk to a lot of the other elite performers that have been on the show, same kind of thing that, you know, you're very vulnerable to burnout. We're all overachievers. We're all trying to accomplish big things. And yeah. that puts you in a position where you can really fall into some of these traps. So talk to us a little bit about um, you know, what some of those are, how can, you know, how can we sort of unbundle ourselves or, or, or unwrap ourselves from, you know, tying our, our persona, our personality and, and our happiness around just a number that's on a, a dashboard and in, in ironically Salesforce. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's really two questions in that question is, is what sure. are the props and then what is the, um, the solution and the answer. And in, for me, it's not something that goes away, right? This is not like you're an overachiever, even in my own business where I'm not selling someone else's, I still fall victim to the same ways of thinking. And it, and it does start with you and how you interpret what happens to you and outside events. And, um, and that's really where the solution um, lies. And, and, um, and I'll just talk about the solution for, for a second. Yeah, please. It's a, quote, it's a quote from Jim Rohn that I love. And he says, if you work hard, on your career, you can make a great living. If you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune. And, and that's really not so much about making the money. Um, it's more about working hard on yourself that I that I've found has been the um, determinant of getting the results that I could only dream of in 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 in, in past um, times. And, and I've been on this journey of personal development for five years. So I, I do feel like I'm equipped to talk about it. I also have been sober for, for two years and not just from getting drunk or high, but, but also mm -hmm. things that were addictive tendencies like viewing pornography or playing video games or, you know, um, taking Adderall. So I, I was very much somebody who was running the highs and the highs and the lows and the lows. And, and I would escape when I felt these feelings And uh, in, in the, let's start with the feelings. And then let's start with what what it results in typically, and then we'll talk about the solution because um, it's not easy. It's like I said, five yeah. years, and I still have some of these same. I just today I posted on this. I've been feeling yeah. this recently, so the conversation's timely. But the the common problems that I've seen in, in sales are, you know, you're you're in an industry that generally requires um, a lot of discipline and requires a lot of things that you know, generally people don't 
necessarily want to do, right? So it could be prospecting, could be long detailed analysis or research, especially in enterprise selling. And a lot of the, the, the DNA of salespeople is like, they want that dopamine hit. They want that immediate gratification. It feels great to meet customers. It feels great to close deals, but that's only yeah. a small portion of what the job actually requires, right? And so what naturally happens is when you are working um, and I see this, it's very, this is probably what I see most common is, is sales reps beat themselves up, not because of their results so much, but because they're not doing the things they know they need to do to get the results they desire. And a lot of those things are the daily activities, the daily kind of tasks that we just don't like. And, and mm. a lot of it has to do um, with, with self-discipline in the, yeah. the consequence of not keeping your word to yourself and doing the things you know you need to do is that you generally feel out of alignment or you feel out of integrity because you're not keeping your word and you're giving into distractions, you're giving into things that are immediately pleasurable, like going on your cell phones, browsing social media, going on your finances, working on your side hustle, because those things feel really, really good. But then there's this conflict, direct conflict within yourself because you're not doing the things you know you need to do. I see, I coach salespeople and I see this more often than not, right? Where people are unha not unhappy with their results so much as they're unhappy with their efforts, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you're unhappy with your efforts and you're not showing up, um, you know, the best version of yourself, you're going to beat yourself up and you're also going to carry that stress with you at night because you're feeling like there's a bunch of stuff in your head you needed to do that you didn't do. And now your family is suffering because you're not fully present with them. So this by far is the most common thing I see. And yeah. the answer is really simple. It's foster self-discipline and get organized, understand mm -hmm. what the key things you need to do is create a system of actually personal accountability um, in, in execute on what you say you're going to do every day. And it's a daily discipline, right? That, that wow. generally people will feel better about themselves when they're trying, when they're knowing, when you know, you're doing all you can, you're going to feel better about yourself when you go to bed at night. And you're also going to be able to let go when you walk through the door and are with your family, you can be more present. And that, that I, I just think that's more common than anything. And it's what you alluded to earlier. Yeah. And the answer is knowing you're doing all you can. It's, it sounds yeah. really simple, but that's the, the, the truth. And that is the most powerful thing you can do is try your best. Um, John Wooden has a great quote on what success is. And he says, success is inner peace and self-satisfaction knowing that comes from knowing you're doing all you can to be the best, to, to be the best version of yourself. It's something like that, but it's self-satisfaction. So if you have inner peace and self-satisfaction, you're not going to have mental health issues, whether it's anxiety or depression or addiction, right? Those are right. coming from feeling like you're inadequate. So I, I think that answers probably a lot of the other things, but um, some of the symptoms I see and some of the things I see is burnout. Mm -hmm. um, I see depression. I see addiction. I see, um, people that are just feeling like bad about themselves and, and that leads to, um, a shame spiral. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and I think again, just the, the solution, um, there's many solutions, right? There's many solutions, but before you can get to a place where you're even disciplined enough and you're committed enough to, to, right. to, to um, do it every day, you have to be mentally fit. You have to be mentally strong. So certain things you can do, certain tools, are what I rely on for mental toughness and mental strength. And I'll list out some of these. Yeah, tools, please. But, but I, I, I very much relied on coaching and mentorship that first year in 2017, when I, when I 
spent that money, I mean, I was, I was all in, right? I, I was saying, look, my way is not the right way. So it, I think it starts with humility of realizing, you know, that, that, that maybe you're, you're not like the best thing since sliced bread. And <laughs> it, 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 you have to have that awareness and that humility to go and get help. So that, that's my number one, okay. number one recommendation is get help in the things you need help with. So I went and got help. I got a coach. I joined a mastermind. I, um, you know, I, I very much was, was focused on, on, uh, on self-improvement, but not on my own. I wasn't just listening to books and podcasts. I was, I was part of a group of people that were committed to also, um, you know, really, really getting better. So the more yeah. you can look into those type of masterminds or, you know, maybe it's therapy. If you struggle with addictions, that's something for me, I had to get a therapist, um, every year for the past five years, since I've been on this journey, I've had somebody or some organization helping me that I've invested my money in to, to wow. get help. when I, when I got sober, I joined a 12 step group. I got a sponsor. I went to therapy for specifically the addiction that I struggle with. So that was, I mean, that, that is the, 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 the solution is, is learn from the people who walk the path and have come out on the other side stronger. Right. That's why I quit my job and I'm helping people yeah. because I want to see people. It's not so much to, Oh, I'm so happy for you. Cause you made a million dollars. That That's not for me. What, what fills my cup. It, it's more about seeing people overcome their demons, their shadows, their limiting beliefs and be the best version of themselves. That, that to me, if I could spend my life doing that, I would be super happy if I can wow. inspire people to break through. So I, I hope that answers your question because there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuggets in there that sure you can dive into. And I want to stop talking because yeah. all day about this. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. No, this is, I, I was just soaking up the passion and honestly making some notes for myself because uh, again, I, I struggle. I think one of the things I struggle with and, and maybe some some of the folks out there listening do too is in the moment, the, the in the moment, you know, pressures or, or stressors that, that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly it sounds like you've got some great tools and, and frameworks for, stepping back and saying, I need help. I need therapy. I need coaching. What are some of the things that you do in the moment? You know, let's say you had a deal that you thought was going to close and then the prospect writes and says, Hey, you know what? Never mind. We're going to go with a competitor or we're going to stick with the status quo. And the, the inclination I know sometimes on my part is to get incredibly angry or shout out or take it out on somebody or, you know, lay down on the ground in the office and just put your head in your hands. What are some things that you do in the moment when big stressors uh, occur? So I think there, you need to distinguish what's 
external versus what what is internal okay in other words right now there's a lot going on there's there's russia just yep. invaded ukraine there's obviously yeah. coronavirus the world is divided still you know it, it's just kind of fucked up and there's a lot it of is. people around us and a lot of chatter and noise in the news um for me i'm reading a book right now which i'd recommend for a lot of people and sure. it's called the monk who sold his ferrari and it's um it's really really good i'm, I'm loving every page I, I think i'm probably an hour into the five hour audible version wow. of it. but but um one of the things they were talking about today is like you can't control what happens around you but you can control how you respond to it mm-hmm. and taking ownership of your response and realizing you know i'll give my wife as an example i love her to pieces she's my rock but some she's with the kids all day she's a full-time mom and our kids are young and it's stressful my, yeah. my son you know is 18 months and he's he's you know he's always i mean he, you know busy he's, age. In a, he's in an early terrible twos he's, he's accelerated into, into that very quickly my other son is on the autism spectrum and you know he needs wow. help and it's just a lot to to manage for her so sometimes i'll walk in the door Okay. And she will complain and mm-hmm. not really complain, but she'll vent because I'm an adult that she's seeing for the first time after being with the kids all day. And my previous reaction to this was to shut it down and try and fix it and really, okay, do this, do that. And it's like, that's how a lot of men work and, you know, right. Prescriptions, very, prescriptive yeah, exactly. advice. But it was yeah. like, I let that ruin my mood. If I was coming in all happy and then I hear her, I'm like, well, what, what's going on? And Again, this isn't meant to knock my wife at all. She, this isn't every day, but on the mm-hmm. days when when she had a hard day, um, I let that affect me. And what I've really, really been working on, I would say um, over the past maybe six months, especially, is how I respond to situations. And not even just how I respond, but you can feel yourself getting emotionally triggered. It's a, it's a body state that changes yeah. when you, you have these triggers that you know, whether it's a customer call, whether it's someone who says something online, whether it's your family saying certain things, everyone has triggers that it triggers a physical state in, in the natural response is it's a split second between the time you feel triggered and how you respond, which could be yelling. It could be shutting someone down. It could be, yeah. you know, um, just, just storming out the door. I mean, and, and this is, this is where the, the magic happens is, you know, you're, you're, your awareness of your state and then taking a pause between your reaction and working on, okay, I'm not going to let this create this response. This is this person's issue. So in the case of my wife, again, changing that story from, wow, she's ruining my day to, Mm -hmm. oh my God, she's having a tough time. I need to be a good husband and listen, support her versus like fixing and try and like make it about me. I mean, that that's the key, right? So, so fundamentally, awareness of what triggers you and awareness of your responses and capturing yourself in those moments when you feel the physiology change and instead of yelling or, you know, cause, cause I, I had to work on this cause I had a temper yeah. and I yelled and the, the, the thing I went to again, getting help. I went to a retreat for a men's retreat specifically um, to help me with, with some things that I was still working on. And one of them was my temper. And what I walked away from that retreat was, and I, and thank God it hasn't happened, but I, I walked away with, with this mantra and it's, it was, I'm going to fight for my family, not with my, with family. them. 
was was that retreat did you go and like get away was it it was imagined in, in person or it was, yeah it was on a ranch in texas and oh it was, wow it was it was literally meant to let out all of your aggression and huh. build up what was bottling inside and we we were shooting uh, throwing axes and boxing each other. It was intense. It was really out of my, <laughs> out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a boxer, but I, I was put in a situation where I fight someone getting cracked in the ribs, broke a rib. It was, it was, it was wow. intense. And anyway, the, 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 it was a four day like immersion. So if I'm big on like experiences and going away and like really yeah. resetting and, you know, um, finding what I'm looking for. And what I found in that you know, that was, that was what I walked away with. And now it's like my, my son who I used to give a spanking. If I was upset, if he didn't listen, I haven't touched him in, I haven't spanked him. It's like, yeah, sure. Once in a while, you know, I might lose it or react, but I'm not mm -hmm. in a fight with my family. I love my family. So these were all works in progress, but I think fundamentally in those moments, taking a pause and realizing this has nothing to do with me. I think that's really important because a lot of the stuff we fret over, we respond to, it's like, we're, it's, it's, it's the stories we're telling ourselves and the thoughts about those things rather than, because two people can be, one person could be my best friend and your worst enemy, right? And we could right. say completely different. So it's literally how we interpret that thing in the story we tell ourselves that then determines our our, our feelings about it, our emotions, which then are determines our reactions or our behaviors, right? So mm -hmm. changing the story, um, this is this is deep work and it takes a lot of practice, but that's where the magic happens. And for anyone who is leaning in a little bit on this, um, Stoic philosophy is, is really, really powerful. Uh, I mentioned the monk who sold his Ferrari. There's another book, Ego is the Enemy. There's another one is The Obstacles the Way. Ryan Holiday is a, is a great author yeah. here. I'm really getting into some of this now. And, and there's another guy I'll, I'll recommend, Chris Doris, who does a daily dose email. He's a mental toughness coach and it's all stoic related type philosophy. And it's like, we, we can't determine what happens to us. We can determine our reactions to it and taking that ownership and not having this victim mindset of like, you did this to me. You made me feel this way. Like is, is what mental toughness is. And it's yeah. absolutely um, doable, but it takes a lot of practice because we're wired the way we're wired over our entire lives getting us to this point. So we have to kind of dewire what we're, or, or rewire, I should say, our brains to think differently. And like I said, it takes a lot of investment in yourself and it's, it's always, it's forever. You're forever yeah. doing the work. It doesn't go away. I think sellers, especially because we're, we're passionate you have to be passionate to to stay in this industry and keep grinding along and working with customers. You gotta like find that energy from within, and that usually comes from passion. Uh, but that passion sometimes comes from emotion. It's really funny. I've worked with a lot of uh, you know I've I've been a lot of my career in very early stage startups. So you know, unlike being at a big company like Salesforce or Oracle, I've been at you know a ten person startup where I was the only sales rep on the team working with technical founders and co-founders and something that I've observed a couple of the founders that I've worked with are incredibly stoic people and they can just pile on this immense amount of stress because when you're the founder of a, of a 10 person tech company and you're trying to go raise a series a or whatever it is, and you have, you know, a couple of customers and one of them wants to churn one of them didn't pay their bill, something broke in the code. You've got to hire, you got to find office space, you're scaling. Like these are just incredible stressors. And something that I, I have observed, and there's a couple of particular founders that I've worked with that come to mind. Uh, I won't mention them by name, but I've just noticed that they're incredibly stoic. They can take it all in and just say, it is what it is. 
will find they're so confident in their ability to find a solution too that they don't let the emotional part get carried away whereas i think myself as a seller i'm like oh shit you know we're gonna lose this customer and this is gonna happen and this deal's not gonna close and if that doesn't happen then we're gonna spiral out of control and i think you know for entrepreneurs for founders the stoicism really does come come into play you've got to be you got to be really stoic and it's pleasant to work with someone like that too who's just they can't let something like that affect them in the moment what you the difference between what you said and what the founder that you admire said is is what you would view as stressful and you you're that's the story this is stressful that is the story so by saying yeah. to yourself and feeling this is stressful you create those emotions of stress thoughts of stress and you want to avoid it or you want to get it away and then you react and you're filling your you're filling your brain with with cortisol so so what the stoic and the the the, the people that practice this will do is they don't see that as stressful they just see it as something needs to get done like i I tell myself the story, the stuff that I'm dealing with right now as a founder of a new company. And um, a lot of it, you know, I really do not enjoy it. It's things fundamentally that are out of my element, things like setting up a pension, which I've had to go back and forth over a 200 page document, getting certain um, things built for my course and my platform, website design. There's things in here. And yes, I can outsource some of that, but you still need to be involved in the oversight. And these are things that, you know, I can go on podcasts all day and I can coach people all day and be very happy. But if I'm going to scale and, and serve to the extent I want to, there's certain things, infrastructure I need to set up. So yeah. how I, I find myself interpreting or resisting these things that are not fun and I'll just go on LinkedIn or I'll go do the thing. And it's the same right. exact pattern in sales. It's nothing different. So this work doesn't change, but there is a reason I'm able to go in. And, and, and there's a couple other, again, tools and solutions I want to get into on this besides just being aware um, is, is, I'm able to realize that these things are just things. They're not stressful events. It's my thoughts that are causing them to be stressful events. Mm -hmm. My wife would not stress about some of the things I'm stressing about. Other people might love it, right? So it's really just my story and interpretation of like, this isn't me. I shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. So so that's that's a key. Another thing to to focus on is, um, you know, when when you put all of your worth in your achievement or your performance, you're neglecting all the great things about you that have nothing to do with your performance. So if you can say, you know, I am an honest person, I work hard, I practice, you know, my values, I, I love my family and I'm a good provider, right? If you literally can, can measure your self-worth in other things, um, knowing that they are frankly way more important than how much money you make or how many sales you get, way more, not even comparable the integrity of a person and how they show up. Like I had to learn this the hard way, but I thought I was a great fucking person because I was selling a lot and I was a badass. And meanwhile, I was empty and hollow inside. You know what makes me a good person? Opening up to my wife about my demons, working on myself, being vulnerable, helping other people, truly, you know, practicing my faith, being honest, right? These are things that before I didn't value as much. And now I'm like, I can rest assured knowing like, hey, I'm living my truth. And you know, it might not be, you know, the same income, or it might not be like when I put all my worth in, I need to make a million dollars my first year. And I look at sales, like it brings out the worst in me. But when I just focus on what I can control in realizing I'm doing my best and I'm doing enough and not like being too hard on myself, I think practicing that grace is is also something that we need to do. Um, And then the other thing, which is really 
effective in dealing with like these mental health. There's the moment, but before you can even get to a place where you are able to stop yourself in the moment, there's things you can do to lower your stress in general and make yourself feel good. I think Brandon probably talks about this too. Yeah. Um, which is which is you know take care of your health, right? So for me, right. getting getting sleep. Sleep um, is big. What I what I eat. Um, exercising, you know, uh, regularly, I, I do distance running. Um, I know that when I, I ran four miles this morning and I hadn't been running because I had COVID over the past about a month ago. And it's been, mm -hmm. I've been short winded afterwards. I just haven't been in a position to do distance running. And yeah. um, the, the feeling I had coming out of that long distance run today. And um, I mean, it's just physical, right? When you can get your physiology in a state where you are, are better equipped to handle events that you might perceive as stressful, they're just not, they're just easier, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's for me is like, is so important is having a morning routine um, that I practice consistently. And that, that helps a lot because by the time you get into the day and it's not like you're waking up and starting with, you know, right. and lumping, you've already gotten some wins under your belt. You've already exercised discipline to go on that run, to work out, to in my case, I take a cold shower, you know, after a workout, I do things that are kind of hard for, for many people, but I'm doing it to foster self-discipline and, and also to put myself in a peak performance state where mm -hmm. I can go and take on the, the many, many challenges, which, which present themselves every single day. Do you, uh, I, I imagine you don't do this. This is a, this is my, one of the current demons that I'm trying to slay is the, you jump out of bed and you check work email or SMS or WhatsApp or wherever you're getting business related messages through. I imagine you're the kind of person that doesn't do this. I know Brandon and talking to, to guys like Brandon and Jamal, they don't do this because to your point, you, you need to structure your day so that you have a couple of wins under your belt. And if you jump out of bed, open up your email app, you become reactive the rest of the day because yeah. it's just yeah. opening yourself up to all the fires you got to put out that day. You're not, you know, taking any time to reflect on the day before. You're not taking any time to, to develop a routine. I guess the question is, it's a leading, did you ever, a very leading question here. Yeah. Did you ever <laughs> do you that? Do this, <laughs> um, did, yeah. Do you do this or did you do this? And did you break this habit? Talk to me a little bit about that one specifically. Cause I think that's one a lot of us struggle with. I think the phone in general is, is dangerous first thing in the morning. I think it's mm -hmm. very easy. It might not even be email. And yes, I do struggle. I don't check work email in the morning, but I do check LinkedIn. I, I definitely have channeled my addictions into healthier behaviors, but I still go on LinkedIn too much. That's kind yeah. of, and again, I get all my business from there. I probably, you probably found me from LinkedIn and in some mm -hmm. capacity to be on this podcast. So it, it is in equivalent, equivalent in that sense, right? I'm getting DMs and stuff and it is business related, but I, I put it down. You know, I, I'm not checking for a long time. It's usually um, for, for a couple minutes and then I'll like, okay, let's go. Um, and, and I'll, I'll basically, um, what I'll, what I'll typically do is I'll put my running clothes out or my workout clothes out the night before oh, I'll move good. them to the other room. I'll move them to the, I won't even be in my bedroom. I'll move them to the living room and I, I just go, right. I have my yeah. protein shake, which, which I'm holding right here. Nice. I, I go on my run. I do my shower. I plan, you know, I plan my day. I do my prayer, my daily prayer, my, my gratitude. And, um, and it's, it, I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I've, yeah. I've had this for a while. I would say in the beginning, it takes, you know, it takes a good month or two before you can really form new habits. But for mm -hmm. me, that's kind of the norm now. I, I notice it when I don't do it. I notice when I just jump into the day. And, and if I want to fix how I feel, 
um, for me, it's, it's, it's really simple. Fix, fix how I start my day. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to be journaling now. That's something I'm going to be putting into my routine a little more just to get back. Cause I know the, the, the big, um, one of the big takeaways for mental health and for stress and, you know, any, any kind of issues, um, that, that might be common in sales burnout is, um, a lot of times we'll let our emotions determine our actions and, because we don't feel good, then we don't take the actions that are going to make us feel good. And so it's kind of a, a spiral. Um, yeah. But what I do is I flip that, right? I, I, and Tony Robbins talks a lot about this, but he says actions create the emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so true. It's when we are feeling bad and then we go on YouTube for two hours to, to we don't feel any better. But if we're feeling bad and we go and actually take that feeling and say, I'm still going to do what I need to do. I'm not going to give in to this, you know, th- this negative behavior or actions that are going to make me feel worse. I mean, then we, we're going to feel ba- better. So, so action is, is creating the emotion. So when I feel bad, I will literally go talk to my wife. I'll take a walk. I will mm-hmm. call a friend. I'll go on a run. I will work. I'll, I'll do things that get me in motion so that then the positive emotions are, are created. And that's, that's how I, I think um, do it on a kind of a regular basis is, is you, you just have to be aware of how you're feeling and know when to, you got to know what those things are that make you feel better. And yeah. you got to be aware when you're, you're getting away from like how you normally feel, feel, feel your best. So I, 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 I would say those are key things to, to really, to take with you is like get into action and your emotions will follow. Yeah, I know we're we're coming up on time here. So one one last question. I'm curious your thoughts on this, and I think there's different perspectives here. From from my, I'm I'm taking away that in you know in in your philosophy, the industry, the SaaS sales industry is probably not going to change some of the dare I call them hustle culture elements to it, or sort of imposing this this ideology that your self worth is tied into your you know selling performance. And I think your approach is very much that the rep needs to take charge of, you know, the rep or the, the professional needs to take charge of their own mindset, their own stories and change that from within. Whereas I want to say Brandon, Brandon Fluharty probably has more of a mindset of we need to try to, you know, rage against the, the machine or rage against the industry and, and force, you know, more resources for mental health. But I'm curious, like your thoughts, is this an industry problem or is this a you know, personal mental health problem? I think it's both. Um, yeah. But I don't think the industry is going to, you have to remember, uh, I mean, I can go a couple more minutes, you know, till till five. I just, I just pushed my my call because this is important. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like you're choosing to be in sales. Mm -hmm. You're choosing a career that you are measured. Your job is to hit your quota. It's not to be a good person. All the stuff I'm talking about is like what makes you feel good. Um, it is it comes from within, but the job you're signing up for and maintaining, even me being an entrepreneur and selling training and coaching, I still have to sell. I still have to, you yeah. know, make, you know, support my family. So fundamentally, when you are in a job that requires you to generate revenue, um, there is going to be pressure from your company and from your manager if you are not doing your job. Okay. That mm-hmm. is really, you can't expect sales organizations not to have quotas or not to hold team accountable. That's not healthy. That's not what sales is. Okay. Now, should they give resources to mental health? Absolutely. Should they make more awareness of it? You know, absolutely. Should managers 
give a damn about their reps and not just look at them as a number. Yeah, that's like the number one thing they should do. So people want to work hard for you versus like being scared every time you see your name on the phone coming up. So I think there's a lot companies can do to, um, to give a damn about their people and their mental health, but that doesn't negate the fact that that you're going to have a quota and you're in a job where you're signed up to deliver. And if you don't deliver, you might lose your job. That's yeah. what your choice is. So take ownership. So I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I think fundamentally it's knowing that you're choosing this. And if you're going to be in this industry, you would best find ways to cope with stress and to take care of yourself because yeah. There's going to be more ups and downs inevitably with having a career in, in, in sales. And, and it's all about equipping yourself to be able to, um, you know, to respond and to thrive in that environment versus letting it overpower you and burn you out. So everything I talk about is, is about on the personal side, but it doesn't mean that companies can't do more to help their team. But I, I don't like people say, well, what do you, they, I asked me like, well, what are you going to say? Don't have quotas or, you know, <laughs> right. don't, don't have leaderboards and, and absolutely not. I'm a huge fan of that because I, I think sales, there needs to be accountability. It's not a mm-hmm. communist um, industry where everyone's <laughs> right. created equal, equal and, you know, we're all getting equal pay. You go into sales because you want to be um, compensated and rewarded for your performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't, compl- don't complain about having you know, uh, an industry, you don't have to be in this industry if you don't want some of the stresses instead of complaining or saying the socks and my manager and all this stuff, like look in the mirror and think about, take some ownership over how you're responding or how you're choosing to let it affect you. And, you know, realize that, you know, this has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, you know, your industry. It's, it's, yeah. it's sales. So I, I yeah. hope that answers your question because I, I don't think it's like like rage against the machine. It's the machine is there for a reason, and it's not a yeah. bad machine. I think it's a beautiful machine, frankly. And sure. If if you can be the best version and equip yourself to really thrive in that environment by working on yourself, none of that stuff's going to get to you. You're just going to realize this is my job, and I'm going to do what I need to do to perform my best. Right. Yeah. Don't blame, don't blame the job that you chose. <laughs> no, that's that's great. I and I, I agree with that. I I I I think we should change parts of the industry. Absolutely, but I think you're exactly right. That I do too. I do too. I do. Yeah. I do think people should care about the individual. I do think they should make it a fun place to work. I think they should reward employees and recognize them. I don't think they should double your quota if you if you overachieve. Like, there's all kinds of yeah. things the industry can do, but like, it's not the industry's fault that you know, that, that you have a target and that you're in a performance driven, that, that is any sales job. There's mm-hmm. going to be some measure of success that you can be in the top 10% or you can be in the bottom and your income is directly going to be, um, you know, be driven by how you perform and in that, that's sales. That's, that's the soup and nuts of it. So yeah. I don't, don't think, I don't think they can do more, but I, I just think there's only so much they can do is, is right. Get at, right. That's, that's great. That's, I, I, yeah, I love that. Um, we've got about a minute or two left here. So I want to make sure my, my audience knows where to find you before you, you share how to best get in touch with you. Walk us through in the 30 seconds, what the elevator pitch is for your coaching services. Uh, let's say someone out there in my audience wants to, to get help one-on-one with you. Uh, how do they find you? What can they expect from your coaching programs? I help AEs transition to 
from transactional sales to strategic sales. So if anything that you heard resonated um, and that you can relate, um, mm -hmm. then, then come my way. I also help people get over their biggest hurdle and achieving their best, you know, performance, which is themselves. Right. So, so empower, that's where I love to spend time is empowering sure. people to, to be, to perform their best by looking from within and, and working on themselves. So it's really personal development plus sales training and strategic sales training. Um, if, if you are interested in learning more, just, just find me on LinkedIn, um, Ian Koniak. You can also go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ian Koniak. I have a ton of uh, videos out there um, covering everything from strategic selling skills to um, you know, mindset, habits, time management, um, all the things we talked about. And um, if you're interested in my coaching program, it's a one-year membership site I offer. Um, I offer online, group, and live one-on-one um, -on -one coaching with me. The website is untapyoursalespotential.com. That's untapyoursalespotential.com. And awesome. there's a wait list there. There's 600 people on the wait list oh, right wow. now. So I am, wow. I am fortunately by God's grace, I'm um, my business is in very, very high demand, but I will get to you and I will have more capacity because I'm scaling out the program to serve more people. So get on the wait list ASAP cool. um, if, if you're interested. So that's, yeah. that's where to find me. And I will post some links on the show notes for everyone listening to the, the website, the LinkedIn, uh, that, and the YouTube channel as well. Ian, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I've taken away a lot uh, personally that I'm going to go uh, implement myself. And I may put myself on that wait list as well. Thank you so Somebody. much for, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing that, that wisdom with us. And uh, yeah, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, my pleasure, Jesse. And good luck. Thanks for having me. And I will talk to you soon. Take care, man. We'll